Welcome to Citron Cooperman's C-Suite Snacks podcast, providing the middle market with brief, concise, and tactical business improvement information in just 30 minutes. I'm Steve Ronan, the leader of our consulting and outsourcing practices and your host. Join me each week ad-free as I dive into top business issues and growth strategies with the best in the business. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and please visit us at citrincooperman.com. And now for this week's episode, we hope you enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this week's installment of C-Suite Snacks. My name is Steve Rona, and the leader of Citrin Cooperman's consulting and outsourcing practice. From Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Ripple to Elon Musk's favorite Dogecoin, cryptocurrency is the most mainstream it's ever been. And it's in the news more than ever as well. But what is it? How are people making money off of it? And importantly, what are some of the technical considerations for investing and using crypto to maximize impact and minimize their risk? Today, we're joined by Mark DeMichael to begin the conversation around just these topics. Without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Mark DeMichael to begin today's session. Mark, over to you. Thank you, Steve. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me to speak. So as Steve mentioned, I'll be talking about how companies and a little bit about individuals as well, but how companies and people are making money in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I'm going to start with a little bit about the technology just so everyone's on the same page. It's going to be a quick five-minute crash course on how Bitcoin works. Then I'll talk about what Bitcoin evolved into in the industry that has uh, evolved around it. And then I'm going to talk about how companies and individuals are actually making money using these types of digital assets, as they're called. So Bitcoin, the idea of creating a digital asset, a purely electronic currency, originated kind of back in the 1990s. Uh, there was a group of people called cypherpunks, and their goal was to create their own currency that didn't rely on any government and didn't rely on any banks. They were deeply distrustful people. They didn't want to deal with these big institutions. They did not trust them. Uh, but this concept that that they came up with eliminating or reducing these third parties involvement in the monetary system that has a side effect and eliminating those third parties can actually save money and that is a big reason why this this industry has evolved as it is because digital assets are all about making money or saving money on costs by eliminating the need for these types of third parties and using technology to to do the work where people were needed before and it can actually save money and that's it's kind of we'll talk more about it in a bit but that's the idea behind all of this you may hear some different terms like cryptocurrency virtual currency crypto assets digital assets or virtual currency those all effectively mean the same thing uh, oh and uh, one other word is tokens they're all talking about this technology and these crypto assets. There are some nuances between those different terms, but for our purposes, for, for what you need to know today, you may hear those terms. You can just think of them as essentially meaning the same thing. It's, it's sort of Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies that have been created since Bitcoin came into existence. So little primer on Bitcoin and how it works, and then we'll branch out into some other areas. But as I mentioned, the creators of Bitcoin were looking to eliminate the bank from the situation. But the bank plays a role. In this case, this is a normal type banking model where there's a bank on top, that's the box on top. 
And then on the bottom of this slide, you see there's three depositors. There's Scott with $5,000, Mary has $2,000, and Rosie has $12,000. The bank performs a useful function in the traditional monetary system because if Scott tries to write a check for $10,000 and he only has $5,000 in his account, well, the bank will come back insufficient funds and they will refuse that payment. The problem with eliminating the bank when you have a monetary system that you're trying to invent is that that's a useful function. You don't want someone, if I only had one Bitcoin, it wouldn't be fair if I could give one Bitcoin to Steve and give one Bitcoin to Annabelle and one Bitcoin to Rosie. That's a problem with the system. So there needed to be a way to replace the bank effectively. And that's what happened in 2008 and 2009 when the idea of using a blockchain came into being. Um, a blockchain is a technology that actually existed since I believe the 1980s originally, but it was never used for digital currency in any way, shape or form. But in 2008, October, so, uh, an individual, a group of individuals going by the name Satoshi Nakamoto issued a white paper explaining the concept of using a blockchain for creating a cryptocurrency of sorts, which became Bitcoin. This idea, you can think of a blockchain as just a historical record of information. The Bitcoin blockchain contains a list of every single transaction that ever happened in Bitcoin since its creation back in 2009 when the Bitcoin blockchain first began. So as I mentioned, the bank prevents double spending with money, uh, with dollars. The blockchain prevents double spending with Bitcoin. Because if I have two Bitcoin and I try and spend four, anybody who has a copy of this blockchain can go back in time and see, oh no, Mark only has two Bitcoin, he can't spend four. So that, that, this historical record of transactions is what keeps the system honest, basically. Oh, sorry. Going off. Okay, the new model, now that we're dealing with Bitcoin as opposed to a bank, is the concept of miners are, are introduced here. Miners are computers around the world that maintain the blockchain. So in the two slides ago, you had the bank on top and the depositors on the bottom. Now we have miners on top replacing the bank effectively. And I won't go into the details of this. It can get complicated. It, you don't need to know it for purposes of this presentation. But on the bottom, you had individuals before that was Scott on the left and it was Rosie on the right. Now I've, I've removed the names because the way the blockchain works is it doesn't have names on it. No one knows that Scott on the bottom left holding 2.4 Bitcoin. They just see an address number and 2.4 Bitcoin in that address. The way Scott can, can spend those Bitcoin is by using the private key. He has a private key, which is basically a password to access the Bitcoin in, those, in that address. If Scott loses his private key, he can't spend that Bitcoin anymore. If Scott's computer is hacked and that private key is, is lost to a hacker, the hacker will be able to spend that Bitcoin. That's the way that the system is, is, is set up to work. It's kind of like cash. If I have a $20 bill on me and someone lifts my wallet and steals my $20 bill, they can spend it and I can't. Bitcoin works the same way. Uh, whoever has the private key basically has the right to spend that Bitcoin. 
Um, that's, that's the way the system is set up. So maintaining the safe storage of your private keys is extremely important if you're involved in holding cryptocurrency and you know holding whether regardless of why you're holding it or or how you do it there's there's ways to hold it and there's a couple different methods one is called a software wallet a software wallet is simply an app for your phone that's it there's an app on your phone it maintains your private keys for you and if you want to initiate a transaction you just click a number of uh, Bitcoin to send, you click an address to send it to, you click send, and the phone or the computer will do the rest. They'll take care of the private keys for you. Little bit risky using a software wallet for large amounts of Bitcoin because your computer could potentially be hacked. You don't wanna risk that potentially. So there are other options. Another example is a hardware wallet. This is kind of a little USB-shaped device. I think it's not showing with the background. Um, or this is another one. This is called the Trezor. Those are called hardware wallets. They're USB-shaped devices that you can plug into a computer whenever you want to initiate a transaction, whenever you want to send Bitcoin somewhere or receive Bitcoin, you plug it into a computer. And then when you're done, you unplug it and your Bitcoin are not susceptible to hacks. Another way to do it is something called a paper wallet. This is an example of a paper wallet. Can't really see it, but it's just taking your private key and either writing it down or printing it out on a piece of paper. Even though that's not practical, it's hard to spend Bitcoin if you have your private key written down. Um, but it is good for long-term storage if you want to keep things safe. And for some people, it may just be too much of a hassle to keep their own private keys and, and have to worry about a hardware wallet or a paper wallet for keeping your crypto safe. There are exchanges out there and other custodians that are actually in the business of maintaining your private keys on your behalf. So for example, Coinbase is a cryptocurrency exchange. I can buy cryptocurrency on that website and they will hold it for me. And I don't need to worry about my private keys. I simply have an account with Coinbase. That's an example of a using an exchange or a custodian to store cryptocurrency or digital assets. So this is a little cheat sheet. I've talked about these concepts. I've talked about the addresses, the private keys. I've talked about the blockchain. A wallet seed is the only item I haven't mentioned on here. That is a backup for your private keys. In the event you lose your hardware wallet or lose your phone, what you can do is, is keep this string of words. It's 12 to 24 words that are random. Think. Uh, so for example, crash, noise, pluck, elbow, those sound like random words, and they are in fact random words, but they can be used as a backup for your cryptocurrency or your Bitcoin in the event that you lose your phone or lose whatever storage method you're using. So this is just something you can kind of print out and keep for yourself if you ever want to refer back to it. And this is another little cheat sheet that you can print out, post on your office, or put it in your drawer somewhere. If you ever forget what some of these terms are, you can refer back to it. But now we're going to talk a little about the business of cryptocurrency and, and what this has all evolved, evolved in. But a question I get asked a lot is why, is, why is Bitcoin worth anything at all? A lot of people just don't get the concept. And there are a number of reasons why Bitcoin is valuable. And... These are all the reasons I could think of. There may be others. 
But just because any one of these particular items might not be valuable to you, it may be valuable to somebody else. And even though like a piece of property in California is not useful to me because I don't live in California, I live in New York, um, that's valuable to someone else. So if I own a piece of property in California, I could always sell it to somebody else. So just because a item isn't worth something to you necessarily, it could be valuable to other people. And these are some of the reasons why cryptocurrency has value. So one is decentralization. As I mentioned before, with money, you keep it in a bank generally. And if a bank were to have problems or, or a bank were to fail, that could be a risk to your investment. Same is true with whatever you invest in, right? Uh, but with Bitcoin, there's no single point of failure. Uh, in the event that a bank were to go bankrupt, you, you could lose some of your deposits. But with Bitcoin, there are thousands of miners around the world. So there's no single point of failure. That has some value. It's hard to quantify in an exact dollar amount, but that has value. It can also be a, scare of, a, a store of value. There are only 21 million Bitcoin that will ever be produced. It's a limited supply. So a lot of financial analysts think of Bitcoin as a similar asset to like gold, right? You, you buy gold as a store of value. In the event that there's inflation, it will go up in value compared to the value of the US dollar, for example. So that's another reason why people you know, are, are investing in Bitcoin and see it as valuable. Digital assets like Bitcoin can also be automatically integrated into the digital economy. You can automatically have Bitcoin sent using software. There can, it can be built into a software program to automatically take your Bitcoin and send it to somewhere else. And maybe you get some other digital asset in return, or maybe you can stream video in return, but it can be automatically done without the need to deal with a payment processor like a PayPal or like a, um, like a PayPal or, or a MasterCard or a Visa, they charge fees. Whereas with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, that can be reduced or eliminated. That also creates the ability to make instantaneous, secure, and potentially low fee money transfers around the world, right? If, uh, if Bitcoin were to be accepted globally, where other countries where you can spend it potentially, or with other crypto assets, there's no borders versus dollars is kind of a US-based thing. Euros are a Europe-based asset. Um, with cryptocurrency, it has the potential to become a global currency, which in this economy seems to have some kind of a value, right? As, as digital things become more valuable, as the internet becomes more, uh, you know, more popular and, and working around the world, these borders don't mean as much as they used to. Whereas, you know, a couple hundred years ago, you would only sell goods to people in your town. Now, if you're dealing with a software program, that you can sell internationally. Another advantage of cryptocurrency is the privacy aspect of it. You can trade cryptocurrencies and, and move them around in a semi-anonymous manner. It's not entirely anonymous. There are ways to trace it but it is a little bit more difficult to trace than traditional assets. So the criminal underworld has kind of taken on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as their currency of choice because of that aspect of it. So again, even though it's not valuable from a privacy standpoint to you or me, if someone else values that, that gives cryptocurrency value. And then finally, investment income and speculation. A lot of people are just buying Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies because well, they see it going up in value. They think it might continue to go up in value. 
so they might buy some of it themselves. So those are all the, the different aspects of Bitcoin that, that I think make it worth something potentially. Whether I think the current price is around 58,000 per Bitcoin, whether that's the correct number or not, I cannot say, but a Bitcoin definitely does have some value and it's up to the market and the market participants to decide what that number is. So beyond Bitcoin, there's a lot more that this blockchain technology can be used for. One is distributed databases. Businesses are using that to save money and to collaborate with suppliers, collaborate with, um, with their customers. That can be done with blockchain. And I won't go into the details of it, but companies are investing in that. Walmart is using it to collaborate with its suppliers and manage its supply chain. Altcoin, so besides Bitcoin, thousands of other cryptocurrencies have been created. They all have their own unique aspects about them that might make them a little different than Bitcoin, maybe a little better in some ways, maybe a little worse. They all have their own aspects. Initial coin offerings, that's when a company will basically create a cryptocurrency and then they will sell it for money. The idea of that is generally to get startup funding for software development projects. That's so called an initial coin offering. Another thing that can be done is you can tokenize assets or basically use a cryptocurrency, use that same technology. Instead of just one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, you could say, okay, we'll create this new cryptocurrency. Every unit of this represents one share of stock in a company that holds real estate. The advantage of that is you could transfer these tokens very easily, as opposed to having to deal with stock certificates and things like that. So again, cutting out third parties. And then finally, smart contracts. As I mentioned before, this money can be spent in a way that's built into software programs. So that eliminates the need for like a MasterCard and a Visa. That to me is, is saving money is one of the biggest advantages that the digital asset revolution is going to give opportunities for in the long term. How are people and companies making money with crypto assets? Well, people are just investing, buying and holding. That's the simplest way, right? People buy Bitcoin, hold it for a while and so far so good, right? It's been going up in value. That's a, a money-making endeavor. Uh, businesses are doing that as well now. Tesla announced recently that they bought 1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. Uh, Visa and MasterCard are announcing that they're getting into the processing business. They're going to allow merchants to accept Bitcoin payments. Uh, both Visa and MasterCard have announced that within the past two months. So that's a big development for the industry. People are also trading, uh, you know, day traders. Some other people are using uh, algorithmic tr type trading where they have a computer program doing the trading. But that's a way of making money in crypto assets. Mining is another way. As I mentioned, there are these miners that kind of take the role that the bank would play in the traditional monetary system. Individuals and companies can buy computers that are mining rigs that are designed to basically maintain the blockchain, but doing that earns rewards. And it's a, a profit-making endeavor for these companies. There are companies that just do mining. Um, I have some as clients, in fact, as tax clients. Staking is like mining. It's just it's using a slightly different way, way, a different method of maintaining the blockchain. That's beyond the scope of this presentation, but those are two ways to make money, mining and staking. You can make digital assets or earn digital assets by helping maintain 
the blockchain or maintain the ecosystem. Brokerage and custody services. Fidelity actually announced recently, I believe, that they're going to be offering custody services in the near future. There are other companies out there that are offering those types of services, like Coinbase and a Gemini. They're in the business of offering custody services for these assets. And they have paying customers that, that, that do it. So you can make money with these assets, even if you don't necessarily want to hold any yourself, you can perform services for, for individuals and companies that do. There are also companies that use crypto assets and tokens in their business model. I mentioned uh, ICOs before, initial coin offerings. These companies are selling these tokens. And in the future, these tokens can be used on these software platforms. I, I can elaborate more if, if you have questions, I can elaborate more at the end or we can go into it later. Another thing is called DeFi, that's decentralized finance. So if you thought the finance and banking and insurance industries were complicated before, right? You have all these complicated financial assets like derivative instruments and you have um, interest rate swap contracts and you have all these crazy insurance products for whole life insurance. But you know, maybe the, in addition to the whole life insurance, there's also an investment aspect to it where you have a minimum return or a maximum return. And there's all these complicated financial products out there. And those are all based off of dollars. Well, DeFi or decentralized finance takes all of those financial products and blends it with cryptocurrency. So if you thought finance was complicated and you thought cryptocurrency was complicated, DeFi is just the marriage of those two items. And then finally, NFTs. NFTs are called, are based, are, it's an acronym for non-fungible tokens. So with Bitcoin, one Bitcoin is just one Bitcoin. That's it. It doesn't give you any special rights or any, any special, uh, special ability. With NFTs, every unit of these non-fungible tokens represents something else. And it's usually set up to be either artwork or collectible. So think digital art and you can buy the right to a work of digital art. And that right is basically embedded in a cryptocurrency. And you can spend it by using your private, you can send it to someone else rather by using your private key. So people are making money with digital art, digital music, and digital collectibles like trading cards. Those are all examples of non-fungible tokens or NFTs. And finally, if you want to make money in this industry, you don't need to necessarily even hold any digital assets in any way, shape, or form. There are other ways to make money without having to deal with those private keys and deal with these hardware wallets. And you know, if you really don't want to deal with that, there are other ways to make money from this industry. For example, there are hedge funds and private equity funds that specialize in digital assets. Uh, one example of them is, is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. What they do is they take investor monies, they buy Bitcoin, and then you basically have a share in that trust, basically. So that's you don't necessarily need to hold the Bitcoin yourself, but Grayscale will hold it for you. There are also Bitcoin ETFs out there. There are a number of applications currently pending in the United States. We'll probably have one in the next year or so. Uh, but there was one recently that appeared in Canada. So if you have access to the Canadian, uh, I think the Toronto Stock Exchange, 
that's another option. There are some international Bitcoin ETFs as well. I'm not aware of any currently in the US though. There are also Bitcoin futures. Yes, that is another thing that exists. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange has a futures market where you can buy Bitcoin futures and that is settled in dollars. So you'll never actually receive a Bitcoin if you buy Bitcoin futures, you'll just get the dollar value of whatever your futures contract is worth at the end of the contract. There are also companies that are in the industry that again, they might hold crypto assets like Tesla or MicroStrategy. Those are two public companies that actually buy cryptocurrency and they hold it on their balance sheet. So if you buy stock in those companies, you can get some exposure to the industry without holding any crypto assets yourself. And there's also consulting companies as well that specialize in blockchain. Uh, for example, I know Microsoft is getting very big in this space as consultants. So they're consulting for companies that want to use blockchain or deal with crypto assets, but they're not holding any themselves as far as I'm aware of. Um, they're in the business of consulting for companies in this industry. And then also the last item I have is uh, mining equipment manufacturers. They make equipment for miners, but they may not necessarily hold any digital assets themselves. And if you were to invest in companies like that, well, then you don't need to hold any digital assets yourself. That's it for today. Um, Steve, I'll turn it back to you and let's see if the audience has any questions. Terrific. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mark. Super interesting topic, um, especially given, you know, uh, Elon Musk himself uh, muscles this stuff into the news cycle uh, frequently these days. So um, it's a very visible topic and uh, thanks for going through it. I guess, you know, one of the first things that comes to mind is the, the change from the traditional banking model that you walked through to this sort of, you know, blockchain based uh, uh, currency model that you went through must have all sorts of risks that come with it that people are just starting to understand. Can you talk maybe from a from a litigation perspective, some of the pitfalls of of holding cryptocurrency and how that's manifesting in you know, uh, different areas of litigation right now? Oh, gosh, that is a very broad topic. Um, there are a lot of issues. For example, companies selling these ICOs that I talked about, these selling these cryptocurrencies that they're selling them to kind of get funds to start up the company, that goes into a whole area of securities law that I've had, I've been at presentations that last an hour or more just on that. You know, if you sell one of these, is it a security? Um, some of these are, and the SEC is going after companies like that. I'm also seeing, well, Another interesting area is, like I said, keeping these private keys safe is very important. I've received a number of calls from people who've lost their private keys or a, a family member of theirs like passed away and they are trying to get these private keys off of their computer. That is, that is a challenge as well. And another area, I, I wrote an article on this a while ago and I've gotten a lot of work in this area, um, divorce cases. I've seen a lot of cases of individuals hiding cryptocurrency from their spouses during a divorce. So basically, oh, I can't afford to pay child support. I don't have any money. But well, once my investigation is concluded, I find that they have all these cryptocurrency assets that they sent somewhere. And you know, maybe we can't trace them any further, or maybe we can, but I can prove that no, they did not sell those. They did not lose value. They still have crypto assets somewhere. So crypto asset tracing is becoming a big area as well, because a lot of people are trying to use the semi-anonymous nature of cryptocurrency to claim poverty, even though they may not necessarily, they may, even though they may be very wealthy. 
Very interesting. Really appreciate you being here today, Mark. If anybody has questions or wants to dive into this topic a little further, please feel free to reach out to Mark directly.